Hey, Senda. Hey, Phil. When it comes to this NPC, so who talks first? Do you talk first? I talk first? <laughs> Put him in cuffs. I don't remember the rest of it. Anyway, good. We should probably just... You can talk first. It's okay. Cue music. And welcome to another fine episode of Pandas Talking Games. I am one of your hosts, Phil. And I am your other host, Senda. And for today's episode, we have a topic on NPCs that came to us from K-pop and RPGs. Uh, so thank you for the topic. Um, and uh, he asked, here's something that I haven't quite been able to figure out yet. And I'm sure the solution is talk to your players, but maybe you have some more thoughts. Um, spoilers. The solution is talk to your players, but here we go, right? Um, in particular, it's about how to share narrative control among players and GMs, especially in regards to NPCs. For example, I enjoy asking players for details, and we often talk about what would be interesting to happen in a scene before we play it out. But sometimes one or two players get overly excited and narrate what an NPC does or even play them for a scene. They usually ask, but sometimes it's just one-liner so they don't ask, which is fine and entertaining, especially if I don't have an idea in mind for an NPC, and it gets them excited, but sometimes I had other things in mind or I simply wanted to portray the villain myself and then either have to say no or roll with whatever they do. Sorry, I took some liberties with your words there, apparently, by failing to read perfectly, but I think we we got the gist of everything. Um, so we're going to talk through that, but the overarching answer is as it always is, and you are correct in this, um, that it is about communication at the table, right? It is. But let's, um, we have very few notes today. We're ad-libbing a lot of this. So <laughs> I'm going to start with uh, just kind of understanding the different types of NPCs in mm -hmm. a game, right? So there are, we're going to break, we're going to break some of these down into categories, but I want to talk about like just, you know, what makes up different NPCs in a game? So obviously, you know, in the most generic sense, um, in the most generic sense, an NPC is a non-player character, right? We all know this, right? It's it's so, um, the term is now so ubiquitous. But what it means is that obviously the player characters, which are the persona that the characters portray in the game, it's not them. It's literally everything else, right? The rest of the world. Uh, it is the shopkeeper. It is the kobold. It is the big bad, the dragon, the uh, AI. It's all of those things. Everyone and everything that isn't a player character. That's a lot. Traditionally, if we go back to the olden days of gaming, traditionally, and the portrayal of NPCs is the GM's job in the, you know, in the oldest annals of, you know, if you crack open the old rule books, NPCs are what um, is what the GMs portray. Player characters are their personas and then NPCs is everything else. And then over time, we get um, kind of a hybrid version of that. We get the GM PC, 
there are a lot of people who will tell you the GMPC is a terrible idea. I will tell you there are terrible ways to execute it. There are plenty of good GMPCs if you play them properly. Mm -hmm. But the GMPC is essentially also a non-player character. It just tends to be a more uh, fleshed out uh, and often statted up character, like NPC. Um, but then as NPCs go, right, they come uh, like a lot of different types. So we have in probably the broadest strokes, right? We have NPCs who are allies to our players. They are patrons. They are friends. Uh, the weaponsmith who, you know, arms up the players. The pilot uh, that flies their ship because no one wanted to be the pilot in the game, right? They uh, are friendly towards the NPCs or towards PCs, they help the PCs, and in some cases, they fill in roles that the PCs don't actually want to take. Then there are neutral NPCs. These are PCs, or these are NPCs, neutral NPCs. They are uh, just there in the world. They, uh, they fill all the other people in the world. They have no particular... Um, like or dislike for the characters and they're just the shopkeeper the person that they ask on the corner for you know some information those kinds of things they're neutral and then we have hostile or adversarial npcs and these are typically the opposition that our characters face right so this is you know the monsters the henchmen the big bad baron von badass like all of those things um they are probably going to get into some sort of conflict with our player characters. In fact, most of the reason they're there is to get into some sort of conflict with our player characters. Okay, so in that spectrum, we have basically like three general bins that we're putting um, we're putting them into. I'm going to give you another axis, right? We're going to make this kind of multidimensional here. Um, another thing that another way to look at NPCs is that we have PCs that um, we have NPCs that are really in the orbit of the player characters, a familiar animal companion, sidekicks, spouses, children, those kinds of things. They are they are part of the people that make up the PCs like area of concern, right? Those kinds of things. We have on the opposite end of that, we have, I don't know if it's the opposite end, moving along, we have NPCs that are germane to the plot of what's going on. So they are NPCs that are actively engaged in the current plot and are probably helping to move the plot along, right? They are the bad guy who is coming up with plans to um, raid the king's treasury. They are um, the middlemen who are putting the squeeze on various, um, uh, what's called various casinos all around the area to like steal money or whatever. But what the point is, these NPCs are how the GM is making the story move along, right? They are integral into getting all those things to happen, um, which eventually the players will come into conflict with, as we talked about before. And then the other kind of NPC are the ones that are just background NPCs. 
they're just there uh, because in reality, they're just more people in the world, right? Than just your your immediate concern and your direct adversaries. There's everyone else who fills up the world. So they're the barista at the at the um, coffee Le- place that has Le- nothing to do with the plot yeah, and legends. nothing to do with your characters. Legends and lattes. No, see, Legends and Lattes is a book. <laughs> Those people are actually germane to the story. I'm talking about... I, I know, <laughs> but I'm just saying the coffee shop in your campaign should probably be named Legends and Lattes because it would be a cool reference. To the book. Yes. Carrying yeah, I'm going to stop talking and let you start talking in the second. I'm sorry to, have, <laughs> sorry to have taken this much time, but since we had no notes, I can only spill this out. Sure. Um, I can't prompt you along it. But anyway, the, the, so that last kind of NPC, they're just background. They're just uh, out there because in reality, there are just more people in the world. So like I said, if you have a coffee shop that you're going to, but it's not actually... Um, part of the plot of the story nor is it a place that you like made special in the game you just were like i'm like where does this scene open and you're like well i think i'm getting a coffee at a coffee shop Mm -hmm. and i'm like cool the barista like spells your name wrong because it's a running joke kind of thing yeah exactly um but it has nothing to do with anything else in the in, in the game that's just background npc and and it's they're there to make the world feel like our world, like full of people. Mm-hmm. Okay. That said, there are, that means that there are a number of different types of NPCs in the course of a game. And of course, of those two, um, three categories, you could mix them up. But I, well, mathematically, I think that means that we have what, nine combinations? Three by three? Nine yeah. or 27? I never remember combinatorial math. Anyway, um, so, but, but yes, it does mean that we can, we can align them along both of those axes, right? Yeah. That's, that's the important exactly. part. Um, I have to jump in and um, nope, I'm going to come back to that later. Um, we're a little disorganized <laughs> today. <laughs> I have some things written down like this is not the next logical thing to talk about, but that's OK. So I think once you have kind of identified where an NPC falls in the spectrum of at, at minimum, like where they are in sort of the PC orbit, if they are directly, um, you know, a PC um, NPC, if they're a neutral NPC from the perspective that they're just kind of part of the world, um, or if they are, you know, an NPC that has a key plot purpose. Um, I think that that is probably one of them. It is probably the most important um, part to identify for how to deal with this situation. But certainly, the other part influences it as well. So when I say that, what I mean is, um, if my NPC has um, plot reasons to exist and is ongoing Mm -hmm. and has a specific role in this campaign and will have for the next year or whatever it is, um, there are probably many things about this NPC that... um, the PCs don't know right now and they may not know and in a way that they can play it effectively and may accidentally change things about it that are actually important for your ongoing plot and could, you know, wreak havoc, right? So um, for me, that is the, for me, for this conversation, that is probably the more important of those two spectrums. But having said that, even if you have something like 
um, someone who is directly in the orbit of a PC, say a familiar, um, who is an NPC that is maybe, you know, by default, I might be like, you know, you also play your familiar or someone else at the table also plays your familiar because, you know, they're sort of part of the the team strategy. Um, There could be a circumstance when it interacts with that other axis, um, when it's an NPC that is in direct orbit, but might be in conflict with our player characters for whatever reason, that depending on your table, they may or may not be comfortable playing conflict with themselves, right? Or playing it in a way that is interesting and fun um, and not just sort of like an oops, rolled over, um, problem solved. I just made them not care anymore, whatever it is. Um, so this is very table dependent. Um, but in the situation where you have uh, an NPC kind of anywhere in that orbit of the player characters who is also going to be in conflict with the player characters, I think that adds a dimension that you have to consider when, you know, giving your players at the table um, free reign on your NPCs. And it, like I said, very much depends on your table because there are absolutely tables and we have done this at my table where one person will end up picking up the villain and running with it for a little bit and it's great. So this is not a be-all, end-all, take what works for your table. Um, It's just uh, a particular dimension that you need to take into consideration um, comfort-wise for your table and your game. Yeah, and I think that maybe opens up a, a greater topic of sharing NPCs. Yeah. So... Again, we talked about in the um, in the very olden days, the role of playing out the NPCs was done strictly um, by the GM. And of course, I say that, but, you know, I'm sure people in the 80s shared their NPCs or something across the table. But I'm just going to go with big, broad, sweeping strokes to make my point here. Over time, uh, many tables have gotten comfortable with the idea of sharing NPCs. Um, It is, I think, more predominant when you get into story games. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's not quite as talked about as much in more traditional games. Like not not a lot of traditional games will say like, oh, by the way, let somebody else also play that NPC. It's the kind of advice, it's transferable advice, right? So transferable advice is the kind of advice that um, might have been born out of one type of game, right? Very much in story games, this kind of stuff happens. Um, If you're playing something like Fiasco, um, you know, and you're not one of the two players in the scene, picking up an NPC is absolutely an acceptable thing to do. Yes. Um, While it's not talked about in D&D, doing that same kind of activity totally works, right? It's a very Mm -hmm. transferable um, activity. So at some point, some tables will open up to allow players that are not currently in the scene. And uh, and sometimes, depending on the person, maybe they are in the scene yeah. to, to play an NPC. I would say you'd like to avoid the part where the NPC you're portraying is solely talking to the character that you're playing and you're just simply talking to yourself. I, even as a GM avoid doing this. I will avoid having my two NPCs in a room start discussing with themselves. If that happens, I will, um, I typically just ex- uh, abstract back to third person and will just say what they start talking about. 
Yeah, which makes sense because otherwise you're sitting at a table and this could happen to you as a player too, right? If you're playing an NPC and a PC, you're just sitting there at a table having a conversation with yourself while everyone else stares at you. Yes. Um, Not necessarily a ton of fun for everyone else. (laughs) Unless you are a really good voice actor or people are really paying attention, they might get lost hearing you talking back and forth. Yes. Now, occasionally it's funny to use this for comic relief, but um, only occasionally and not for long periods of time. And usually on a podcast (laughs) where you can cut Uh, things up or whatever. Agreed. Yeah. So... The idea of sharing NPCs is perfectly fine. And to get back to like the crux of this dilemma, we get to the idea of which NPCs are better to share and which NPCs as a GM you might want to hold on to. As usual, you have done a much better job of precisely and concisely stating the problem after I go running in with a lot of super detailed opinions. And this is why we usually have notes so that we do it in order. It's okay. It is okay. <laughs> but really, that's what we're getting down to here is when, when we boil all this down, there are NPCs that PCs are perfectly safe using. And there are NPCs that... Yes, the player could be using, but it might make it might cause more problems than it is helpful at the table. Right. Yeah. And this is because often those NPCs are part of the as we talked about before, they are probably one adversaries or and or they are germane to the plot. Yes. In whatever way. If you are a GM much like um, much like I am who preps some amount of material, whether I'm ad-libbing my game or um, or I am very much playing my prepped material. There are a handful of NPCs in my scenes that I know need to do certain things. Mm-hmm. I know they need to do certain things in certain scenes or behind the scenes to advance the story that we're going to be telling like push that plot along. Like I need the NPC to give a certain clue or take a certain action or whatever. If that NPC winds up in the hands of the players at a time when I need them to do a thing, but they do something different. Now we've like, now we have problems. Yeah. Right. Like now it's like, well, do I just play off of what they did? Do I, pull back control, i.e. how do I pull back control of the NPC and then do a thing? Um, it gets kind of messy. And I think we'll park some ideas for how to do that in a, in a few minutes. But I would say you're better off for those types of NPCs. Avoid this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's something to be said, and this is um, part of the part, a part, just a part of the communication part, right? For being able to identify at your table um, that this is a PC, an NPC. Wow, we just keep saying these letters a lot. Um, this is an NPC that I need for plot purposes in whatever way you say that, right? Um, so I'm going to maintain control of this particular NPC. Mm-hmm. Which then creates a new set of NPC categories. Yes. <laughs> this, the NPC that we're talking about are really GM 
the GM's NPCs, right? These are, they should be kept by the GM, used by the GM, and probably shouldn't be handed off to players. Yeah. Uh, just just because of the potential disruption. Now, can, oh, we'll talk about that. I'll, I'm going to pause. We will, can you, can you do this? You can. We'll give you some hints in a few minutes. Sure. Okay. So that is definitely one category. Just keep them to yourself. Yeah. This way, this way you can do with them as you need and keep everything moving. Yeah. And just flag it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the next one, I think, are the PCs and PCs. Yeah. Right. So there are definitely NPCs that are just adjacent to the players, familiars, animal companions, things like that, that pretty much anybody should be able to play. Right. Even including the player. Yeah. And, and frequently, depending on the game, I would say um, many of these default to being controlled by the player. Although I think it's really interesting when they're not because it it adds a dimension of, you know, actual two individuals to um, whatever is happening. But that aside, separate conversation. Um, yes, but these are the ones who are definitely, you know, they're, they're a true part of like the actual party and what's going on, right? Yeah, and they're, so one, they're safe enough for... They're safe enough for players to engage, including the actual player who um, whose NP like whose NPC they're connected to, like yeah. to the PC. Um, but also, I would even venture forward that they are probably even better not to be played by the GM. Uh, like, yeah. can the GM play your animal companion? Sure. Yes. But will it always match up with what you imagine your animal companion would do during the game? No. Probably not, which is why it's probably actually better kept in the hands of the PC and not really given to the to the GM to play. Yeah. And then I would also hazard to say that, you know, depending on how many of these you have in your party, it, it could be fun to have other people play your... See, um, I, I think that would be my personal preference. Sure. But again, this a lot of this, I think... And this may be a, a separate part of the conversation also. I think a lot of this is um, how much control each individual player and as a GM um, is fun to you, is enjoyable versus um, how much of your fun is based on interactions with other people that may have unexpected results. Um, and just that it depends on the situation a lot, right? So yeah. if, if you are more in it for um, this is my character and I already know exactly this, you know, long historical background about their relationship with their familiar and all of those things, it may be more fun to you to play out that relationship um, with your familiar in a way that only you with all the information can do that. Um, if it is more fun to be like, I don't know, I've only had this familiar for like a month and we're still learning and figuring it out. And you want to hand that familiar to someone else and like see what happens. That's great too, right? That also yeah. sounds like fun to me. So I think, um, I think part of this particular conversation and probably this entire conversation is also about what is more fun in each of these circumstances. Surprise? Or control. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Right. There are times where like if I had an animal companion, I probably don't want surprise and I probably want total control. So, no, I want that piece. I want that NPC, you know, in my pocket. Yes. Like that's mine. 
Yes. Um, An extension of your player character, essentially. Yeah. And I mean, this is also true for the GM, right? This is, I mean, this is the same thing. I, I need to have control of this NPC because I need to do a certain thing. Yeah. I need to decide when to push the button that is going to detonate these um, these bombs, yeah. right? Because if I give it to the PCs, maybe they will or won't, or maybe they'll do it too early, too late, something like that. Right. So, I you know, I need to control these. And then, of course, because, you know, I like threes. I like the number three when we do <laughs> examples, right? See, now we're going to get up to like 27, right? I think. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> so here's, so the other group, right, the other category, if it's not GM controlled and it specifically or not PC specific, right, then there's a middle ground of NPCs that are basically up for grabs. Yeah. That either, that either the, the GM or the PCs could control because they don't, re- they don't have a specific control requirement and it might be fun in terms of surprise what comes up so these are things like the barista yeah like if the barista is going to persist in the scene for a few minutes for a few lines of banter or whatever um and you know basically you were like oh you know maybe when you were making up the description of the of of this coffee shop the barista is particularly interesting right they have some particular um personality quirk or something and one of the players is like, oh, that's hilarious. I am I think it I think it's like this. Very quickly, you're like, oh, well, I don't need to have hold of this as GM. I don't I, I don't have any specific need to hold this um hold on to this NPC. The thing that I'm gonna make happen is gonna happen through another NPC. So you can just be like, oh, yeah, you're like you're grooving on that. Here, take it. Yep. Yeah. Right here. Take that NPC, play it out, like play it with this player. Like, do it. Yeah. Like, I I want to watch watch. you guys do it. Yeah. I want to see it happen. Um, Exactly. So that's that middle ground. mm -hmm. And I think this now, if we go back to K-pop and RPGs question. Yes. Is now we can really get into this um, a little more. Because what we're talking about is it is okay to, this is the communication part, right? Yes, you were going to communicate. What did you need to communicate? This is it right here. Yes. You need to communicate when an NPC is held by the GM or is a general NPC. Yeah. Right. And then obviously the player one as well. The players would also then declare which ones they want to be player held NPCs. But the importance of this is if you designate, even if you just have like a little house rule thing that says like, hey, I will let you know when a GM is general or or GM, you know, GM uh, NPC, or you can ask or whatever, then the house rule can be players can grab general NPCs mm-hmm. and act them out. Yeah. To their heart's content, right? Because there's no repercussions. Yeah. Um, and the GM ones, we don't create that um, awkwardness for the GM because we've reserved them. Yes. These are reserved. Yes. Um, and that doesn't mean that those can't be adversaries because you can totally have a um, adversarial NPC that you've put into the general category because they're like a henchman. Right. Like they're sure. not like they're just they're, they're like ground troop henchman mook kind of thing. And it's like if somebody wants to act them out in a like role play scene. Sure. No problem. Like. They, 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 they can't really, they're not driving the plot and they, they can't really hurt anything. Like if they give up or, you know, whatever. 
Yeah. I mean, absolutely agree. It's just they don't have any key um, actions that are going to be that you've, you know, hung your plot from directly. Correct. Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that right there, I think, is the strongest piece of advice that we're probably going to end up giving this episode, um, which is very just specifically, if this is coming up a lot, um, identifying which NPCs are up for grabs and which ones are not. And having that conversation ahead of time so that you can say, okay, and -and so-and-so walks in, just FYI, so-and-so is a GM NPC. And you can get that in before anyone, you know, jumps into anything so that you don't end up in the awkward situation where you have to either accept what they've said um, or say no, right? And if you're having... If you're having like a a thing about like immersion, like you want to you don't want to have to have to call out every NPC or whatever, um, there are a couple like more subtle ways you can do it. We can do it with hands. Table, a a thing about if you put a name card out on the table, if it's marked in some way. Correct. Um, If it if it's you know, it's on this color um, index card. It's a general one. If it's on this one, it's a GM one. Um, you could do a hand gesture, like as you're introducing an NPC. Like if I if I tap my chest, right, while I'm describing the NPC, this one means it's mine, right. If I have, if I, you know, if I extend my hand open, then someone right, can grab this one's it. general. Sure. Um, we can always ask, right? We can always ask, but if we wanted to do something smoother. Yeah. Then could, the thing like you're saying, like we can we can denote them. We can even just put a uh, a G on mm-hmm. the index card. Right? right. Like you could even have an index card because I don't necessarily have name tense for like all NPCs, especially ones that sure. would end up in the general category. Um, but you could even just have, you know, uh, something like an index card that has a, a general on one side and like a GM on one side. And when you introduce them, you could just lay it out, uh, whichever, you know, yep. side is appropriate. Um, or you can put them in a certain spot on the table. Sure. You know, if you have name tense, mm-hmm. if they're over here by me. Their GM ones, if I put them out in the middle of the table. If I put it in the middle, then someone can take it. Yeah. Then take it and put it in front of you while you're portraying it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of thing. Um, We're just essentially what we're setting up here is we're setting up some like kind of improv guidelines. Yeah. Right. We're giving little indicators in terms of improv, like where our boundaries are. So the the next thing that I actually wanted to bring up is closely tied into the improv part. which is, I think, a lot of the resistance that we encounter as GMs um, with the idea of having to say no to our players comes from um, the improv theory of yes and. And please do not take me wrong um, when I say this, because I think we all know that improv is my my style of GMing, right? Um, And I am 98% of the time, pretty much a yes and kind of GM, right? But there's something we've we've said in a, a couple of episodes, but it's been a little while. Um, and I just want to make sure that we do address that particular part of the question, too, because it stinks when you have to say no to someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it messes with the flow of the game. And, you know, we we try to avoid it. But as much as we talk about the transferability of improv skills into gaming um, and how a lot of that collaboration comes over, all of those things, as much as we talk about that, they are not the same medium. And there are times in gaming where you may have to say 
no. And it's okay. It is okay to occasionally say no. And I think the important thing um, with saying no in those situations, and, and this is one of, this is how I deal with those particular scenarios, right? I very rarely say no, but when I do, I say no, but instead of just no. When you just say no, it's like hard cut off and you're like, what, your idea stinks, go away. Or at least that's probably not what you said, but people can feel it that way if they were really excited about their idea, right? But if you say no, but... Um, or no, he, he doesn't do that, but what if he did this? And you can um, find the way to sort of bridge the gap between what you know that that NPC needs to do and the idea that your player had so that your need is accomplished, but their idea is incorporated. And we can kind of move forward with that joint collaborative sense. You can then say no at the table without doing that wonk, like wall drops, hard stop, your ideas don't matter to me, right? Um, So that's that's, uh, one other part of just sort of the dimensionality of this to address. And I'm sure that if you have a table of people who are really used to just picking up NPCs and running with them, which is super cool, right? But when you need to have those moments um, or if they miss the signal, if you've, you know, implemented a signal and they miss it and you have to kind of be like, (laughs) actually, I need to control this one, whatever that is, um, you can bring out the no but. And as long as you're not saying no to everything, as long as you're not saying no to even like 75% of stuff, right? Like probably like 80% of the time, 90% of the time, it should be yes, if that's the kind of collaborative table that you're running and you're you're working from those improvisational, um, uh, whatchamacallums, the word just flew out of my mind. I'm not doing great with words Conventions. today. Thank you, that'll work. Um, but... Because this is a game table and not an improv stage, there are going to be times we say no. That's why we work with safety tools and content editing tools that happen, you know, mid-game um, when we fast forward or rewind um, to use the, the the play pause tools or to use the X card in For the Queen, whatever that is. All of that content editing stuff, we're basically saying no, actually. Um, so it is okay when you need to at a role-playing table to say no. Yeah, I'll also tack on to this that as a um as a player, we can often get excited and want to like yes. jump in. Yes. You know, want to jump in, grab yes. an NPC, say something really funny, you know, whatever. But a little a little um I don't want to say courtesy, but take this for what it is. If you just use the phrase, may I, mm-hmm. right? Like you see something really funny, be like, oh, um, I have a funny line. May I? It, it it gives the GM the ability to be like, oh, uh, not this one. It's a GM PC. I need to do a thing, right? Yes. Like um, as opposed to just being like, if you blurt out, um, oh, they say this, you know, and and like start pointing kind of thing. Like you've interjected rather than like you've pushed in rather than asking for an opening in. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And I I think if I can say back to you what you just said is I think you're saying that we should get consent at the table. I mean, in the highest form. Right. Yes. Yeah. You're asking for consent. So. Yeah. So as a player. 
if you are excited. Now, like, like again, let's use the consent model. Um, I'm going to say consent model because I think this is a thing we could actually write up. Um, we could write up and talk about. This might be my next Gnome Stew article now that I think about it. <laughs> if we use the consent model, right, first of all, we can talk about these things at session zero. Mm-hmm. Right. Or outside the game, because it doesn't have to be just at session zero, but outside the game, session zero kind of thing. We can say, hey, uh, seems like everybody here likes to play NPCs and stuff like that. Let's just make let's let's set our conventions for how we would like to do that. Right. GM versus GM. PC and general NPCs. What are the rules? Who can grab what NPCs? That kind of thing. How will we grab them? How do we indicate? Are we okay in the middle of a scene if we pass um, a general NPC from one player to another because that player has a funny thing that they want to, or, you know, interesting, funny thing to do with them? Or once you pick it up, it's yours for the scene, right? All of those things. So we can do that outside of the game to establish our boundaries, to establish some kind of um, pre, I'm going to use the term from my, I, from my IT life, pre-authorized changes, sure. right? Like, <laughs> like sometimes there's just things that we agree, yeah. like consent is given here and does not have to be asked for, right? There are like, there are certain activities that you can set up outside of the game where you can say these are Mm pre-consented these are things that we all agree upon they're fine and if somehow in the situation it's wrong we'll consent revoke and don't worry about it but you can just grab a general npc you don't have to ask whatever like you can you can set that up i don't recommend doing those kinds of things in game in game just ask right yeah may i May I grab this NPC? Does anyone else want this? I would love to jump in and be this barista. Is everybody okay? Is everybody okay with that? Is consent, right? Mm -hmm. It is. So I think you can do both of those things. I think outside the game. And, you know, it's so funny because we always say session zero. Yeah. And I'd love to imagine if we took all of our episodes... And what what it what the complete concession zero would be be for like like every piece of advice we've ever given. Ten hours of session zero. (laughs) It'd be a campaign to get through session zero, like a whole arc to get through session zero. But you can outside of the game, you can kind of establish all this stuff, whether you do it at session zero, session one, or whatever, or you're in the middle of a game and you just set this up. But you can set this stuff up. You can make some pre-consented elements, all of those things, and then, like I said. In game, just use in game. If you haven't set any of this up, just use simple consent. May I? Mm-hmm. Every video, okay if yes, those kinds of things. Yeah, um, and then what's interesting about that particular um, idea to me is that I think if we start working from the concept of consent, it's also easier to talk about breaking up specific parts of NPC worker actions. If someone is really excited to voice an NPC, but you, the GM, know that they have to do a specific thing um, and you are comfortable, you know, jumping in to be like, sure, you can voice this and then, but I'm going to describe the actions. So I need you to play them based on the actions that that I am describing that they take, right? Like you you depending on the level of trust at your table, depending on how important this particular action or this particular scene is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and depending on how comfortable, you know, that player is with playing conflict or whatever that particular situation is, 
you can get granular to that level if you want to or need to or it's fun. Yeah, it's so it, it, it's so tricky. It's definitely possible, right? And it's it's along all the things you said. And I think it works best. I think it works best in games where you have not you don't have everything deeply prepped. Yes, probably. Like, this works much better in like what you're describing works much better in more of an ad lib kind of thing um, where we're playing to see what happens. I'm not trying to um, affect a certain thing in the story. So, for instance, if I was playing cartel and I had a rival um, drug lord coming in to meet, you know, um, why can't I remember their um, El Narco? The playbook. El Narco, mm-hmm. right? They're coming in to meet El Narco. And I am, and I'm just playing to see what happens, right? I could very easily put some stuff down on an index card. A couple of personality someone. things. Sure. Here's a couple of things. Like, here's your motivation. Here, and right? here's like, what you want. Right. Here's, like, here's what you anything, want in the right? scene, whatever. Yeah. And I could hand that to a player sure. and go. See what happens. Absolutely. Yeah. But if I'm playing Knights Black Agents and I have this intricate vampire conspiracy and this banker who is like the linchpin to how money moves throughout the conspiracy. I can't hand that easily to a player. Not really. If they say something that contradicts already existing evidence or contradicts evidence I'm going to put down later in the scene, like I'm making a big mess for myself. Yeah. Then it turns into. And this was the thing thing. I did want to come back to when I had said before I wanted to come back to it. This was the thing I was going to say was like, when can you hand a traditionally GM Uh, NPC over to the players. And this is the thing. I think you can do it in games where there is a higher degree of improv and you're playing more for surprise and less for effect. Yeah. Right. When I am using an NPC in a game like Knights Black Agents or Tales from the Loop, where I am, I'm telling you, like I'm helping you play through a mystery. I need NPCs to be very precise to things that I know that you don't know. Yes. Because I have written a what's going on document and this NPC is plugged into part of it and will give you material to help you move through the mystery. That is very hard. Now, if we're playing Brindlewood Bay. Yes. <laughs> right. Where we are improving the mystery and its solution, then this NPC can be handed to literally anyone mm-hmm. because the mechanics of the game and the way you prep the game and the way you run it is not dependent on that um, that need to control the effect and actions, right? It is opened up to whatever happens is how this is going to play out. Yeah, which is fun because you came in and played one of our NPCs and, and not even just an NPC that was there once, right? You played one of our long ongoing like shows up pretty much every mystery NPCs and it was great. Um, And it didn't matter. You made some very cool decisions on his behalf and now we get to incorporate those, but like nothing about them is changing the flow of our game or us finding, you know, an end point in the mysteries we're solving. Now, if I had, and again, this game's more ad lib, but if I had somehow in the middle of the game, like, said that I was like linked to the eldritch horror part of the game. Yeah. Like that might be that a bit more jarring. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and we might have had to say, 
and this goes a little bit more to guesting, but I think is pertinent here yeah, as yeah. well. We, we, but, we've done actually this talk. Before. Yeah, we've done this one before, but we might have had to say at that point, no, that's not really feasible. Right. right? Edit it back, yep. clean it up. Edit it, it back, back clean it up and, yeah. and go. And that's about content editing at that point. Right. Um, yeah. There was another thing that I, I'm sorry, I've lost it. So if you have more to say about, um, you should just keep No, going. I think, I think we're good. I think I want to like pull it back around now and just kind of sum it back up. Sure. Um, that sounds like a good idea. To, to bring us closer to conclusions. So yep. in essence, what we're talking about here is that there are, there are NPCs that should best be played by the GM. There are NPCs that should be best be played by the PCs and there are NPCs that are neither of those things that are perfect for people at the table to pick up and play. How you come to that determination is going to depend a lot on your game, your style, and the way you're running your game. But if you think about it, you will know which ones are which. Um, and based on that, you can set up some table conventions for um, how and when people pick up those general NPCs. And like we said, if you really want to get out there on the fringes, you can even figure out ways to hand off GM PCs when you think it's going to be, um, when you feel like it's going to be safe for the game that you're running. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you can And fun. You can do that as well. Um, and all of this kind of revolves around consent because there is the implied for most games, there is the imply, I don't even want to say implied because in many games it's explicit, that says the GM portrays the NPCs. Yes. So if you're running counter to that, this is where consent falls into play, right? This this is where, because you are changing, you are changing the assumption of the game. Now, if your game says in each scene, Players who are not involved in the scene may pick up NPCs like Turning Point, like Fiasco and things like that. Then it's a little less about consent and more about just playing through the procedure. But if you're playing something like D&D, Tales from the Loop, Knights Black Agents, where traditionally the NPCs are played by the GM, then establish some consent about when you can pick up and which ones you can pick up to play. Yeah. Sound good? Sounds great. Want to get there. ready to roll out of here? Yeah, sure. I am prepared. Tell me about another show on the Misdirected Mark Network. Yeah. Um, on the Misdirected Mark Network, you can also hear the Misdirected Mark podcast, which is Phil, Chris, Bob, and Jerry breaking down and getting inside games, game mastering, playing games, and game design in an effort to entertain and inform you. And changes to that description and to how that show works are coming soon. So if you listen, you will hear about them. It's exciting stuff. Uh, so basically, stay tuned. Because because Misdirected Mark is about to hit episode 500. 500. Yeah, at 500, things are going to change a little bit for you. So it'll be good. 501. 501. At 501, it's going to change. 501 500 is... Gonna, is 500, you're going to tell us about it, right? We are going to talk about it. Yep. Um, 500 is also going to be like a big retrospective about the show. 500, geez. It's a lot of it's episodes. a lot of episodes. And it's actually like Pandas. It's actually, we're actually more than 500 because during the pandemic, yep. we did not number some, um, episodes. some episodes because like we were all in a world of hurt. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. cool. Senda, yes. where can uh, people find us on uh, the internet? Well, you can still find us on Twitter at Pandas Talk Games. You can find both of us on Mastodon with our um, 
personal uh, handles that we use everywhere, which is DNA Phil and Idella Mifflin. We are on Dice.Camp. Um, you can find us in the Misdirected Mark forums, which is forums.misdirectedmark.com. Um, you can find us on TikTok with the same handles. We're failing all of those, or depending on your preference of how much text you want to write, you can also drop us an email, panda at misdirectedmark.com. And Phil, once they find us in one of those places, which that list just keeps getting longer and longer now that the internet has exploded. Um, what can they do with that information? Yeah, 100%. Um, send us some ideas of things you would like to talk, have us talk about um, on the show. Much like K-pop and RPGs did, uh, send us something that's coming up in your game that um, either is a challenge for you or you just want to hear our insights on it. You just want to like, what if Phil and Senda think about this thing that's going on in my game? Um, it could be specifically about your game. It could be about something in general. It could be about a particular topic, whatever it is. The thing that we're trying to do here is we are trying to help you um, have more fun playing your games. So we want to... Uh, use our knowledge, our experience, our insight to help inform you and give you tips, tricks, and techniques for how to do things in your game that will overall increase the enjoyment of your game. So there's a knockoff effect. The, the better and easier it is to, for you to run your games, the more games you will run. The more games you run, the more games your players will play, the more games you will play overall. And if you're polygamous like us, the more different types of games you will play, i.e. the longer you will last in this hobby. And that's awesome because this hobby is a lot of fun and you should play a lot of games and have a lot of fun. Yes, agree. Cool. If you like what we do here elsewhere on the Misdirected Mark Network, consider supporting our Patreon campaign. Go to patreon.com slash MMP. You will get access to the Slack Room for Life, the Bamboo Lounge, and the after show from the Misdirected Mark. Uh, it's cool stuff. I love the Slack Room. Come join us. Talk about a whole host of topics. Even pop in on a Friday afternoon and have lunch with us. Um, there's a bunch of us there. We always welcome new faces. So pop on in. And the way you do that is by being part of the Slack community. So, uh, hey, maybe we'll see you there. Yeah. And also there's a new uh, there's a new Slack room for uh, reading. So book if talk. you're there and you want to talk books, uh, go check it out. Browse some channels. Cool, cool. All righty. Um, if you're supporting the Patreon campaign, thank you very much. We appreciate it greatly. If you're unable to support the Patreon campaign, we totally understand. There's still a thing you can do super helpful for us um, and gets more people to listen to us, which is really what we are always striving for. What is that thing? Well, you can tell a friend on whatever platform of your choice is at this point. Um, or you can leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice. Uh, reviews are like telling a stranger, but they also make us feel warm and fuzzy inside when we get to see them. So if you leave one, you can drop us a note on whatever social media you're on. And I will go find it. Um, there's a lot of places, so I don't necessarily track them all. <laughs> um, but telling a friend is a very good way um, to get new people to listen to the show because people will trust your opinion. So if you think that they would be into it, let them know. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right. Say, Senda, who is going to act out this NPC in this scene? Me. <laughs>
This show is a joint production of She's a Super Geek and Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Bloopy! Clicky! The 299th clicky. Well, it's really more than that because there's some episodes we didn't put numbers on pandemic-wise, but this is our 299th official episode. I know, we're technically over 300, but I like that, you know, 300, the official 300 is uh, coming up next week. Yeah. Bloop! We shouldn't be having this conversation on mics because now Ryan has to edit it. Well, it's good because this is all parts. <laughs> this is none of this matters. So Ryan can just zip along for a mm-hmm. few minutes and then just chop all this off. This is yeah. this is completely trash, does not need to be kept. <laughs> Bloop! And then I did 10 seconds of silence without telling you about it. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure that when Ryan analyzes the waveforms, he'll see. He'll, he'll, he'll catch it? Mm-hmm. That's, I don't know. They're really good at editing. Just saying. You should hire Ryan. Put this snippet in the end. Hire Ryan. <laughs> Give me one second. <laughs> Ask Ryan to edit your audio. They're great. Bloop. I need to, uh, I need to find a, I need to find a quote. Need to find a quote? Well, you're going to need it for the opening of the show. Oh. Bloop. Welcome to TTRPGs where the stories are made up. Keep chewing time. You're doing great. And the points don't matter. There are no points. Except for experience points. But really, milestone experience is just easier. If you're playing that kind of game. And if you're not, then, you know, play a game where leveling up doesn't have to be a whole fiasco so that you can do it real quick whenever it needs to happen i don't know i've been playing a lot of powered by the apocalypse lately i'm literally just saying whatever comes into my head right now while phil looks uh, for a thing i know it's okay it's failing uh, here <laughs> i just keep talking i can keep talking and talk 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 pick a little talk a little pick a little talk a little cheap 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 talk a lot pick a little more and talk you know yeah i got it okay did you find it i found what i was looking for all right, cool. Bloop. Bloop. That has a knockoff effect. The more you enjoy running games, the more your players will enjoy playing games. The more games you will play, and if you're polyamorous like us, the more different types of games you will play. I think you just used the wrong word. Polyamorous. Polygamorous. Are we polyamorous? We're not, actually. I feel like we shouldn't announce it like that. (laughs) (laughs) Hilariously. Perhaps I'll just redo this line. Okay, maybe you should just redo that bit. (laughs) Bloop. Decision made. Show me what you got. 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 Uh, 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 